Thanks for tuning into the Catch My Drift podcast. This is your host, Matt Kelmis. And joining me again, I have Scott Bessel with me. We're here to talk a little bit about deer hunting. Uh, tomorrow is the archery opener here in Minnesota. So happy Archer's Eve, everybody. Well, it's a really exciting time of year. Um, like I just mentioned in the intro, archery season is opens tomorrow here in Minnesota. So it's like Christmas Eve. It is. It is. <laughs> Except Santa's not dropping off a new bow for me or no, <laughs> nor I. Yeah, <laughs> I'm stuck with last year's. Actually, I think I'm shooting a bow that I got four years ago. So yeah, I yeah. don't. I, no new toys for me. <laughs> Are you shooting a Matthews? Uh, no, I shoot an Elite. An Elite. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I shoot a Matthews, and I think I was trying to, now that you mention it, I think mine's four years old too, but um, yeah, anyway, it's a good shooting bow. You bet. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, like I said, happy Archer's Eve. It's a great time of the year. Nice, cool day today, a little bit of rain. We were talking, I think this is the most, it's only been raining since 11, and it's 2 o'clock right now, so it's only been raining three hours, but this is the most rain we've had probably all summer i think it's been crazy <laughs> crazy dry one of the uh, you know the driest summer that i can remember in many many years yep it uh we we finally need it um i mean my lawn is it's like walking on potato chips and spaghetti you know uncooked spaghetti when i gotta go outside the big bonus is i haven't spent a lot of time on a lawnmower this summer yeah. which that's always years added to your life in, it my, is. in my book it is I, I think i've maybe only mowed four times right it's great it's awesome um well cool um how is how's your season looking are you getting any good trail camera pictures I have been uh, started out really slow. Uh, I was really whining there for a while. I've I was telling my buddies it was you know probably the worst trail camera summer I'd had in recent memory, and then all of a sudden it started to pick up, which to me just proves what all bow hunters know is that you just you got to be patient. You do. Yep. Yep. When do you usually start setting your cameras out? Well, that's funny. It gets a little earlier every year. I used to discipline myself and wait till the 4th of July and I can no longer make it that far. So I start, you know, actually some, some of my cameras that I had out for turkey season, I just left up, and, Okay. you know, they're in areas that are pretty decent for deer. So yeah, okay. I start early summer and, you know, it's just fun to, you know, shoot. I like fawn picks. I mean, they, they excite me and I like to see what's, see what's out there for the fawn crop and how good a winter the deer had. And, um, so yeah, I've, I start pretty early. I've been running all summer. Good deal. And it is fun too, to see, you know, pictures of turkeys too, especially, and I know you're a turkey hunter and your your whole family is, but it's fun to see pictures of turkeys too. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and you can learn a lot. I actually, um, I took a young man out last spring that wanted to kill one with his bow and uh, that's always a challenge. I mean, if, you know, he's never killed a turkey before. And so I thought, well, we really got to, you know, we really got to scout and nail down some good spots because location is super important then. And uh, yeah, we actually used the trail cam to line him up and he got a nice bird his first morning. So, sweet. Yep. Sweet. Do you use um, cell cameras all year or do you use like the old school traditional? I have a mix. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have a mix of, uh, you know, the, the wireless cams are great. Um, they're, they can be, they can be kind of a pain, you know, uh, they're a little, I consider them more temperamental. Um, so yeah, but, uh, but yeah, I have a mix and they're, they're all fun. Yeah. yeah that's true. When they, when they work, they're great. Right. It's, it's kind of like, like, like a, <laughs> kind of like all computers, technology, everything, <laughs> exactly. your phone, 
when it's working, it's great. But man, when your phone's got to do an update or when you're at work and your computer's not working, I mean, yeah. you feel like breaking it in half. Exactly. <laughs> you're reaching for the hammer. Uh-huh. <laughs> but yeah, there, I've, um, I've slowly been adding to my cell cam collection. I just bought one at Menards. They had them on sale for 99 bucks uh-huh. and 11% off, of course. So sure. it's a pretty good deal on a, on a cell cam. Absolutely. Yeah. I run the tactic cams and I, I've had good luck with them. They're relatively easy to use. The app is easy to use. Yep. Um, I really like that you can share them. So, you know, between I hunt on a property, a couple different properties, um, and my buddies all have tactic cams too. Okay. So I just share the account and I can look at their cameras. Oh, so nice. that way, you know, you can buy four, I can buy four and to get, it's like, I have eight cameras. Right. So right. you can split the cost a little bit, I think, which yeah. is great. So you bet. Yeah. And that way too, you know, out of towners, you know, I can share it with my uncle who lives up in war road and he can see, you know, what's going on in his farm down here. So yeah, yeah it's nice for him to be able to log in like that. Absolutely. Yeah. My buddy just had a, a bear hunt in Northern Wisconsin and, uh, put, put a tacticam on all the different baits and it was really just really not only fun, but invaluable information. I mean, you know, what bear is coming in at what time and yep. you know, which baits are getting hit during the day and which are getting hit at night. And, uh, you know, if, if you're using conventional cams, you'd have to wait, you know, three, four days a week, sometimes more to get that information. Whereas, you know, the wireless cam, you've got it right now. You know? Yep. Yep. Did he end up getting one? He did. Yeah, Sweet. it was actually it was actually my dad's tag. It takes like nine years to draw a tag in that zone in Wisconsin. And my dad, I'd been putting in points for my dad all these years, and so he finally it was kind of funny last summer. He, he says I I drew a bear tag, and I go yeah. <laughs> I said, I've been applying for you, and he says well I really don't want a bear hunt. I said I know, and I but I know exactly what you need to do with that tag. <laughs> So he transferred it to my neighbor's boy, who's 17. Wisconsin has a program where you can transfer him to a youth hunter. Okay. And so, yeah, so we mentioned it to my neighbor, Wyatt. You know, hey, would you like to go bear hunting? And he was just all over it. He was like, yeah, this is on my bucket list. So, yeah, then my buddies in Wisconsin swung into action and got him on some spots and started baiting for him. And, yeah, he shot a 450-pounder on the first Holy night. Holy cow. Yeah. I don't know too much about bears, but that seems like a giant. He's a big bear. Yeah. yeah. He had a big head on him. Yeah. yeah. Just a really impressive critter. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Cool. Yeah. Definitely something that's on my bucket list too. Yeah. Bear hunting. I'd, I'd really like to do it. I'd like really like to do it out west, you know, yep. just to kind of spot and stalk. And yep. I don't know. We were just talking, you know, how cool different parts of the country are. And of course, you know, grass is always greener and, you know, the west is always so, you know, appealing. And, but, you bet. You can do it right here in your backyard if you if you really had to. Yep, yep. Yeah. And bear meat is great too. They're they're a really cool animal and they eat well too. Yeah, you know, that gets sometimes gets less attention, but yeah, I've I love the bear meat I've had around here. Have you had any pictures of bears? You know, I haven't. Although there have been, there's bears around here every spring. I think it's usually, from what I understand, it's usually young males dispersing and you know looking for new territory, and they, they never seem to really settle in. Although um, there was a sow with cubs. Where was that? It was somewhere, you know, somewhere within 30 miles of here. So I'm sure there's probably bears here that, you know, we don't know about. But yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we, on our farm near Rushford that we hunt, uh, which isn't too far from here, Mm -hmm. um, we just had had a picture and it was two black ear tips. Oh. And, you know, of course, I mean, it was a setup pretty high, you know, so it was definitely a bear and the the camera itself had been kind of chewed. So, yeah, yeah, we didn't actually get a picture of a bear, you know, in the distance, but just the black ear tips. There you go. So (laughs) teasing you. Yeah, they're they're around, you know, definitely cool. 
And the neat part about this area too is you can get an over-the-counter tag, right? Yeah, which you don't have to apply, which is kind of surprising to me. You'd think it'd be the other way around. Yeah, but I don't know. Maybe it's, just because there's so few of them that they, and that, it, like you just said, most likely a you know a male on a run or something. You know, right? Right. So, yep, hmm, that makes sense. Cool. So you said uh, going back to you said uh, what you said earlier. You you start setting your cameras. A little bit before Fourth of July. Yep. And of course, now your cameras are all all spitting spitting you images and uh, getting excited about anything. Absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, um, yeah, I went from getting getting kind of down in the dumps there, you know, midsummer, and then all of a sudden a buck showed up that just totally surprised me. Um, we we called him uh, the seventy-five buck. Uh, this is my most imaginative name I've ever come up with because he had seven points on one side and five on the other. Uh-huh. Anyway, we had tons of pics of this deer two years ago, and he looked like a good three-year-old. Um, and he was just all over the farms and just picture, picture, picture. And then uh, I got him into March, and so I was really excited. I'm like, well, this deer's obviously made it through the gun seasons, and he's going to be around next year. And he seemed like kind of a homebody, you know, and uh, those are always fun deer to hunt because you can – you feel like you got a pretty good shot at him yeah um and then last year <clears throat> excuse me just disappeared not a single pick of that deer and and was, he was kind of a but my neighbors and i all kind of share information and hunt together and we're like where did that deer go and nobody had a pick of him so hmm. naturally assumed you know there's plenty of state land around here he doesn't have to wander far and he's you know out of our life and probably in somebody's freezer so anyway, considered him a goner, and then all of a sudden this year, boom, he shows up. Hmm. Same deer, uh, junkier than before. But so now he's a five-year-old, and uh, I think he's got 15 points. So wow. he's a you know, and nothing, not impressive points, just lots of stickers and sure. junk. Which I like the junky deer. So anyway, it's fun just knowing that one. You know, you get one to five around here. That's that's an accomplishment. So yep. it'll be fun to keep track of him and maybe get a shot at him. We'll see. So today's September 15th. Um, openers tomorrow on the 16th are any of you have you had any pictures lately of any anybody still in velvet or have they all since shed it uh i had one just the other day it was interesting i had actually one of my cooler trail cam picks in recent memory of four bucks in one picture and three were shed out and one was full velvet and that was just a couple days ago so there are still some hangers on and and the 75 buck the last pick i got of him um he's clearly got some kind of junk hanging from his and i think it's dried velvet that's still stuck to his rack so i just got a picture the other day um i think i even sent it to you Uh, just a nice mainframe 10 pointer but you know, I'm scrolling through my pictures on my app, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, you know, and it, <laughs> you never know what it is. You know, you kind of got to look, stop yourself, stop the image, and zoom in a little bit. Okay, I thought it was a sweet drop time, you know, right. like a four-inch drop time, right. you know, but no, it's just as velvet. But it's still really cool to see. Absolutely. I don't know. It's fascinating to me that they can, you know, how their antlers grow, and then they shed their velvet, and then they're hard as steel right now, and, yeah. you know. It's quite a process. It, it yeah. is, and and how fast they grow too. You know, it's just that whole that whole antler growing process is just fascinating to me. And the fact that you know, and the thing that amazes me is like moose and elk do the same thing. And you know, you take a four hundred inch elk, which is you know obviously a huge critter, and he starts about the same time our whitetails do. Yep. And he has to grow four hundred inches of bone in a few months, and it's just I can't imagine what that takes out of their body. Oh yeah. You know? Yep. Yep. Yeah, it is fascinating, man. So you got this, the seventy-five buck. Do you anybody else that's getting you excited? Or yeah, there's a real wide eight. Um, 
just a junky looking deer, you know, he's not, not very tall tines or anything, but he's, he's a big beefy mature deer. And yeah, he, yeah, I'd, I'd love to see him up close and personal. And then there's always the thing that I love about deer hunting is, you know, I don't care how well, you know, your ground and I don't know how many camera care, how many cameras you have out. There's always surprises out there. There's, you know, your cameras never get everything. It's, it just doesn't happen. Right. And so that, um, I've, I kind of live for the surprises too. I mean, there'll there'll be some deer out there. They'll be like, "Wow, where'd he come from?" Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And uh, so yeah, it's just to me the anticipation of it is just everything. I just love the whole process, and I don't, you know, uh, I mean, you've talked to my friend Bob Broviak. I mean, he's just like a heat-seeking missile. You know, he <laughs> he picks out one deer, and I'm like, "Oh boy, you are in trouble." So have you talked to Bob lately? I haven't talked to Bob. No, I was just talking, you know, I have a farm that I hunt by Houston, which isn't too far from his house. And I was driving by there the other day. And I was like, I got to get connected with him and see what he's got going. But yeah, typically, I know Bob usually starts around the 4th of July and goes okay. every night, you know, spotting fields and stuff. And he's he's pretty precise. He's got, got quite a system down. And uh, yeah, uh, if if he's got a target deer, it's it's days are probably numbered. Yeah, <laughs> he'd be the guy to to write a book. I mean, it'd be fascinating to to see what he had to say. Yeah. You know, and, and kind of just get inside that guy's mind. Because yeah. like you said, I mean, he's a, he's a heat-seeking missile. I mean, there's no better way to describe him, really. I don't, you know, well, you've been in his trophy room, and I, I don't I, I don't have an exact count on the number of bucks he has on the wall, but it's a bunch. Yeah. And I I think 40 to 60% of those deer are early season. I mean, he's killed some really great deer in the rut, but, you know, if anyone, if I can point to anyone that taught me how, good the early season could be it's bob uh-huh. i mean he just he knows uh you know he knows how to get on those early season deer and i, I really feel like I, you know my my two favorite times to hunt uh, especially if i know a buck are are right now the next two weeks and then late season yeah yeah because i feel like the rut is pretty chaotic it's it's super exciting i love it never miss a day but you know if i'm after a certain deer this this is the time to do it i mean because he's i mean you just think about it he hasn't he hasn't had anybody chasing him for six months. And, right, zero pressure. Yep, living large and just and his his life is pretty simple. You know, he finds a place where he likes to sleep for a while, and then he gets up and he goes to the groceries. And if you can figure out either one of those two places, you know, you've got a pretty good chance. Yep. So, if you you're, you're talking about if you can figure out one of those two places, where this time of year or from the fourth of July till now, what kind of areas are you putting trail cameras on? Um. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you make, I make early season hunting sound easy, like, you know, just <laughs> find the bed and find the feed. Well, that, you know, those are, that can be really difficult because this time of year, you know, the woods are just like a buffet. And I, I think I compare whitetail kids to, or whitetail bucks to toddlers, you know, they're, they're really fickle and whatever the flavor of the day is, you know, white oak acorns start dropping and they'll be on those for five to seven days and, they, you know, they might bed 60 yards from the tree that they like sure so you know that yeah you know where they're eating but can you kill them probably not you know um and then you know there's alfalfa and all kinds of browse out there and you know soybeans and blah 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 so anyway um yeah so as far as a trail cam strategy i kind of have proven areas that i know work um you know i've got old mineral licks here that i you know um i rely on those during the summer but then i also have field edges you know uh i mean summer alfalfa is really hard to beat i mean this is you know that's it's a staple in whitetail country and you know you're it's one of those places to me where you can hang hang a camera over a hay field and you won't get anything for 
sometimes five or seven days, sometimes longer, and then all of a sudden it'll just light up. And uh, and I don't know if that's the maturity of the alfalfa or you know what's going on, but um, anyway. So yeah. food sources, it sounds like. I, I tend to go with food sources right now, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and mainly because you know, that's what deer are concentrating on. And also because I don't want to pressure deer, you know, if I, um, and I know some really good bedding areas right here in my area and I just, I don't, I don't want to be there right now. Um, I don't want to, I probably will, you know, most of those areas, if I have stands in them, uh, I'll hunt, you know, one or two times the whole fall and it'll be end of October for the next three weeks. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it's really important when you're hunting mature whitetails to give them their space and just, let them do what they want to do, and then it's up to you to kind of figure it out. Yeah, yep, that makes sense. You don't want to, don't want to pressure them, don't want to bump them, don't want to really let them know that you're hunting them. That's exactly that's yep. exactly it. Yeah, it's really important to have your, you know, and and that just goes that goes with everything. I mean, it goes to you know hanging your stands and then getting in and out of your stands and having a strategy for all that 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 really kind of lets you fly under the radar. Yeah. Yep. So, what do you do? You set up, what do you do in this scenario if you, you set up your trail camera, you know, on a little apple orchard or mm-hmm. in the corner of a field, you know, on an alfalfa field, what do you do when you're not getting any pictures? Do you panic? Do you let, let it soak for, you know, uh, three weeks and then go move it? Or what do you, I mean, what do you do then in that scenario? Man, if I panicked, I think I'd have had a heart attack by about <laughs> July 20th this year. <laughs> I mean, it was really bad. I just was not getting anything. Um, and it was really funny because I'm a big water guy too. I think water is really important in this country. And even our you know ponds that we had that were old reliables were just not getting hit. And I was just, what is going on here? And I, I still, I don't know. All I know is that I was patient and kept checking and kept putting cameras out and sooner or later and now the ponds right now are just on fire i mean deer are, i think this two months of dry that we've had is yeah. finally it's like had a cumulative effect and the deer are like doggone it everything i eat is dry and dusty you know right and if they can find water now they are just they're going there you know yeah and i was thinking too i mean if you were a property owner and you had a creek you know like a spring fed creek mm-hmm. going through the bottom of your property man it would be you'd really want to key in on that i think early season or even in the late season too you know when they're rutting yeah um but yeah that would be sweet and we got a lot of those around here oh yeah yeah it's it's really true and uh i know a buddy of mine used to guide over in wisconsin and you know uh he said he's found areas where they're in a really dry year he said i remember one year watching this buck kept coming in into this little ridge and ridge end and he said he would just linger there forever and he's like i what is this deer doing you know because he was always like 70 80 yards out so finally one day he walked over there and he said there was a stump there that held water and he said that buck was going in there and drinking from that thing every said every time i saw him that's what Hmm. he was doing so yeah they're pretty i don't know if they can smell water they must be able to i think they can find it you know and they're and in a year like this i mean it's going to be pretty big yep 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 Hmm. so yeah creek bottoms you know i've got a chunk of state land here by my house it's got a nice trout stream that runs through there and it's you know it pools up in a couple places and it you know it's cool down there and uh yeah i'm gonna be i'm gonna be sniffing around there because i think it's gonna be really good so if you're not getting any pictures right away don't panic nope and keep you know i like i said i well you know if you look off to your left you'll see a pile of trail cameras some of which are you know 
um, I'm ready to take a hammer to, but others are just waiting, to, you know, they're on deck and ready to go. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I put out a lot of trail cameras and, uh, you know, so I'll leave some in my tried and true areas and just, okay, Scott, just got to be patient. And others, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to start experimenting. Um, one of my favorite ways to, when I'm going into a new area and I don't really know what's going on, like if I don't have the food source completely pinned down or there's not a really specific spot like an old mineral lick or a, a pond or whatever, um, I'll go to an area that feels good in terms of, you know, structure, uh, funnels or a f corner of a field or whatever, and then I make a mock scrape. And you can do that. You can start those in, I mean, you can start them in July. Okay. Deer hit those all year round. And right now it's huge when those bucks are coming out of velvet. <clears throat> I mean, they'll just see that overhanging branch and they're like, I'm, you know, I was amazed. I mean, I was planting some food plots on this farm I hunt in Houston. And I mean, it was not even, it was right on the bubble of velvet shed. So, you know, last week of August, first couple of days of September, and I walked into that food plot and I'm just like, oh, there's an overhanging branch. And I just walked over there and sure enough, scrape. I mean, I'm like, that deer, I'm assuming he's out of velvet, but maybe not. Um, but yeah, they're just really keyed into that. That's a big visual for them. And so yeah, I'll uh, I'll kick up the dirt around there, and uh, and then you, uh, well, our mutual friend Billy Jarowski taught me a really good trick. Um, put a grapevine, take a snippet sure. of a grapevine, and zip tie it to the end of that thing. And I don't know what it is about those vines, but it drives them crazy. They yeah. jump up on their hind legs and gnaw on that thing and spit all over it, and yeah. you know, yeah. So those, I mean, if you. To me, if you want to get an inventory on bucks in a strange area right away, a mock scrape is probably the fastest way to do it. Okay. You'll get it. You'll get just about everyone, you know. So if I've, let's say a guy like me, I've only, you know, I just mentioned I've slowly been accumulating cell cams and trail cams mm -hmm. uh, throughout my life. I've got four cell cams. Now let's say uh, what time of year or when would you, if I, if you only had four, you know, cams, would, when would you put it on a food source? Like you said, you put them on food sources early. Mm -hmm. When would you take that camera and move it to a scrape? Well, I tell you what, I'm big on monitoring food all the time. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, well, and yeah, they got to eat all 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 year. And the biggest thing is is that you know we, we tend to kind of get tunnel vision when we're hunting um, because we're we focus so much on bucks. So we're always looking for the bucks. We're looking for the bucks. Where are the boy and where are the bucks? Well, when you get to the rut, and if you don't know where your does are, you are you're. I call it chasing the rut. You're always behind the eight ball because the bucks know where the does are. They've been monitoring that all year long, and as soon as they start feeling it, and they and that does start coming close to estrus, that's where the bucks are going to be. So if I'm getting a bunch of doe picks on a food source, I'm like, great, this is this is gold. I mean, I if they and so anyway, I, I don't consider that a loss, um, but I I go to scrapes as soon as I as soon as I can. I mean. Okay. Uh, um, July isn't too early. Right now is just it's it's perfect. I would say for the next month, you know, I'm I'm all over scrapes. If I if I'm not finding them, I'm making them myself. Okay. Um, yep. How do you make them? Um, well, I have a old. Uh, my neighbor calls it my scrape maker. It's actually a it's actually a weed side that you can buy at Fleet Farmer Menards. You know, hand powered, just a <laughs> you know big ragged blade on it, and I use that to you know, knock down any weeds and then I go right down to the dirt and scrape it up. And of course the biggest thing with a scrape is the overhanging branch. I mean, you've got to have that. If you don't have that, you've just got to, 
you got a dirt circle in the middle of nowhere, you know. Sure. That the overhang branch is what attracts that buck to that area. He just it's instinctive for him to just walk over there. And um, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know what deer tell each other at scrapes, but they must say a lot because and it's amazing the amount of does that you get at a scrape, and um, even fawns, button bucks, those go in there. I've, I've got you know fawns on their hind legs yeah. chewing on a licking branch, and I'm like, what are, you know, what are they saying to each other? But it's obviously <laughs> hugely important because they're all, they all go there. It's yep. just crazy. Um, so anyway, yeah, I. It, it's never too never too early to go to scrapes, and right now I'm I'm really focused on them hard just because I'm trying to get an idea of what bucks are in the neighborhood. Yep. So if you make a mock scrape, do you? Have, I know guys will do this, whether you know they go to Fleet Farm and buy some buck juice. Do you ever do that, or do you take a piss in it yourself, or do you do anything to kind of yeah. add th- any scent? I think the you know the greatest the greatest uh, one of the greatest tools you can use in, using them when you're building mock scrapes is just like bring a 24 ounce bottle of Mountain Dew out there and just keep drinking it so you stay well hydrated and you've got plenty of pee in you. And yeah, I I shoot a, every scrape I have. I'll you know I'll pee in it and the the bucks don't know the difference. They don't if they know it they don't care. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, and I don't you know I don't get real anal about scent control with them. I mean I think they you know. I think it's such a visual thing for him. I mean, I've had deer where I've, you know, I don't have rubber gloves with me and I don't, you know, I don't have all my scent control stuff and I make a mock scrape anyway and I, I get a, I get a buck pick that night, you know? Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. And I, I put scent on the, on the overhanging branch, uh, either a wick or a chunk of rope is really good. Zip tie a rope, a little chunk of, you know, hemp rope that you mm-hmm. fray at the bottom and, I've got tons of picks of bucks with that rope in their mouth, just chew, chewing on it. Hmm. So, yeah, and that's another. And once it's funny, once they key into those ropes, it's like, oh, oh boy, let's go see what's on the rope, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's a that's another good trick to use to get a mock scrape going. But the the grapevines are, you know, and you can find grapevines anywhere. Right. I always I always have a pair of clippers with me, and anytime I see a chunk of grapevine, I just rip it out of the tree and clip it, throw it in the back of my truck. It's kind of embarrassing. People think I'm going to the compost pile, but those are all for scrapes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. So will you, once you get a picture of a buck visiting one of those scrapes, will you hunt over that scrape, or how do you? How do you... Kind of depends on the situation, and uh, that's a great question because some some scrapes I just kind of view as almost like a bait pile, you know, they're just like, I'm, this is in a really visible place. And, you know, most of the picks I get here might be at night. That's okay. I don't care. I'm just kind of taking inventory. Um, but yeah, if I, but if from that, I start getting buck, uh, a buck that, you know, a, that I want to hunt and B that is a regular visitor, then my wheels start kind of turning like, okay, he's living around here somewhere. Now it's up to me to kind of start putting some pieces together about, you know, where he's bedding, where he's feeding. So then I'll get a little more, uh, focused, you know, and start looking for spots where, you know, well, maybe I want to creep closer to his bedding area or, you know, if I think I know where that is, or maybe I want to put a scrape in a, you know, near a stand tree that's, you know, in my, where I have the advantage. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a combination of things, but yeah, but yeah, if I, if I feel like I've got a deer that's living in an area, he's pretty consistent in that area, then my thoughts go to, you know, to trying to kill him. How am I going to get this deer and, you know, get, get tight to him during a hunting situation. So if you got a picture of him approaching, you know, from the right side, mm-hmm. quartering to you to the right side, how do you, you know, how do you take that picture to figure out where he's bedding? Do you go that way or, you know, are you looking at aerial imagery? 
Yeah, if you don't, uh, I'm fortunate enough that I, I mean, most of the places I hunt right now are, you know, places that I know pretty well. So I can start connect, kind of connecting the dots. Um, you know, we've we've made some bedding areas over the last few years that have, you know, um, it's it's amazing when you thicken up some cover around here, how quickly the bucks adapt to it. And uh, so anyway, if I, yeah, if I get a picture of a deer, like I had a pic the other day on, of a, a buck uh, on a pond, coming to a pond and, you know, 150 yards behind him is a little clear cut we did three years ago and i'm like that dude's bedding right there you know it's just a question of you know finding out uh, i'm gonna i'm hoping for more picks of him um it's that kind of wide funky eight pointer you know he's not he won't score worth a darn maybe score 120 but i mean he's a just a hog i mean he's five or six years old he's Mm -hmm. a really big deer i'd be happy to kill him but yeah if he if he keeps tipping his hand to me um i think i have a pretty good shot at him because i you know, if he uses the bedding area that I think he's using, there's not only that pond there, but there's a little food plot. It's an old log landing surrounded by the timber. It's maybe a quarter acre. You know, we've had a lot of good buck encounters there over the years. So it's just kind of using your knowledge of the area. Uh, if you're, a, you know, if it's a foreign area, well then, yeah, you got to get out your mapping software or your app or whatever and start looking at, you know, what's around here where that deer could be mm-hmm. living. And I think it, that's why it's so important too to shed hunt. You know, because mm-hmm. you it kind of gives you a reason to walk around and figure out, you know, and then use your, use your phone, put a pin on that, you know, with Google earth or on X or whatever you use, put a pin on that and say, you know, this is a likely bedding area. Yep. Look around in the snow or, you know, are there, are there bowls of melted snow? You know, are there a lot? Are there just a few? Um, how thick is it in this area? You know, what does it look like? Is it, you know, a spine where they can, you know, smell the wind coming over their back and they can mm-hmm. bail off the one side or, you know, all that stuff, you know, are clues to betting. That's an excellent point. Yeah. You know, I, I always say I'm the world's worst shed hunter. And, and the reason why is I, I, I forget to look on the ground because I'm always looking for rubs. Sure. To me, rubs are, you know, one of the biggest clues to how a buck travels through an area. And I found a spot here right behind my house. And I, I mean, this is, a, this is, you know, vivid proof of how clueless I can be. So I, I thought I knew how bucks were moving behind my behind my house. They they come from my neighbor's farm and then they cross a road and then they go to my other neighbor's farm. And I figured they were just taking the you know the shortest route from A to B, which would have cut them right right between my you know right behind my house. And there's a little there's a a spot of cover there that I call the runway because it's it looks like a little sidewalk going right through the sumac and leading right to this field. I'm like, well, they're coming down the runway. But I put a camera there, and I wasn't getting them. I'm like, well, what are they doing? Well, then I was out shed hunting the next spring, and I walked down, and there's this little end of a point that wraps around, and all of a sudden it was like rub, 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 rub. It was just like, I mean, an idiot could have connected the dots, and, of course, it took me 15 years to figure it out. <laughs> and I'm, and that, the more I sat there scratching my head, I'm like, well, this makes perfect sense. They can cross that road. They hop onto this knob. And instead of running the runway, which makes them more visible and closer to my house, they can wrap around the end of this point, and they're completely hidden the whole time. And uh, and so anyway, I got to stand in there, and I've, it's amazing because I've sat that stand. I I hunt it very sparingly because it's kind of in a sensitive spot, but I have never sat that stand and not seen a buck, and they all do exactly the same thing as that rub line revealed to me, and which I found during shed hunting. So yeah, that's that's an excellent point. If you you know if you're not a shed hunter, I mean get out there in the spring and walk because it's mm-hmm. just a 
it's just a hugely important time to figure out your terrain and how deer are using it. It's just cool too because you can see so much more of the woods. Absolutely, you know, all the leaves are off the trees, and you can see you can see a rub from if it's a big one. Yeah, you can see a rub from a hundred yards away. Yeah, where right now, boy, you can't see oh, twenty yards yeah. through the woods. But and trails and and the big thing is you can read you can read terrain so much better yeah. um, because the vegetation is gone. And all, you know, all that sign from last fall, is it's right there. I mean, it, it almost has to be green up before those rubs start disappearing and scrapes are there and, and deer, you know, deer using those scrapes year round. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Cool. So you've got your trail cam pictures, you've got your blaze trail rub line, you know, you got your food sources tomorrow. We were, you know, we were talking a little bit about our early season hunting plans. Mm-hmm. What, um, how, how do you formulate a plan in your, in you know, in your mind of where, what stand you're going to go to, and when you're going to go to it, and why you're going to go to it? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, well, just about everything right now is food source bow hunting, and for me, in the evenings. I hunt mornings very rarely right now, unless I feel like I have a bulletproof entry that I can get in there in the morning without spooking deer. Um, but th- those are tough to find, especially, you know, this is largely ag country. So you got deer out in the open, you know, in the, in the dark when you're trying to get into a stand. Um, the other, you know, the other thing I've learned about that, uh, even into the rut is sometimes wait for pink light so that you can see those fields and make sure the deer are off them. And then you can boom, wiggle into your spot. But yeah, r- right now I hunt mornings very rarely just because okay. I, you know, uh, I'm kind of, poking and hoping, hunting the fringes, you know, and, and uh, letting the deer, you know, they're typically bedded up fairly early this time of year. So it's mostly afternoon hunting. What and, would it, can I interrupt you? Yeah. What would it take for you, for that light bulb to go off and say, Ooh, I got to hunt the morning tomorrow. Um, well, I'd have to have good wind direction. I'd have to know, have to know or think I know where the deer is bedding so I can intercept them coming off food, uh, whether that's, you know, oak stand, an alfalfa field, a soybean field. Um, but, and the, but the biggest part is the bullet, bulletproof entry. Um, so or, at that time, they're going from food back to back bed. Back to bed, yep, yep. And they're going to be there. Now, some, you know, I guess I think it depends, it depends largely on the deer. You know, some deer are just, you know, they're kind of vampires and they want to be, they want to be on their bellies when it's, you know, when that sun starts coming up and others are much, you know, my cousin killed a really nice buck in Wisconsin a couple of years back. It was this time, this time frame. He killed it at nine o'clock in the morning. Mm. And he said that thing was just, you know, he was, he had been feeding in some oaks and was heading back towards a clear cut to bed. And he said he was lollygagging through the woods. Like he had all the time in the world and he you know, shot, it was a beautiful nine point buck. Um, so yeah, it, you know, part, a lot of it's personality, but, uh, of the deer and, uh, and maybe weather conditions too. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I want to make sure that I can get in there with a very high degree of assurance that I'm not going to spook a deer if I get in there. Cause I mean, you, you're, you're going to swing wrong. Sometimes you might, he's not yeah. going to show oh, yeah. up or he's going to be past you already, or he's just not going to go there that day. Right. Um, and the less disturbance I can make the better. I mean that, I think that's, that's a thing that, you know, it's really easy to get excited and want to move in on them right now. And, uh, um, but I, I think my personal opinion and approach is to just kind of treat them with kid gloves and, uh, you know, let them make mistakes because okay. they, they will, um, you know, you just have to be patient. So going back to the afternoon hunts, mm-hmm. so you, um, 
you primarily like to focus on hunting the afternoons this time of year. Correct. Just because yep. you're hunting the food sources and they're coming from their bed back to food. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we were talking a little bit about, uh, you know, your, your strategy. Um, are you aggressive right away? I mean, anybody who's watched the twins right now, um, watching Ed and Julie, Ed, Ed, Eddie Julianne take the, take the plate. I mean, that guy, if he gets a pitch that he likes, he's, he's swinging. Mm-hmm. It's the first pitch of the game. If he <laughs> likes it, he's swinging, which is great. I think it's a great approach. I mean, cause why wait, you know? Right. So is that, I mean, are, are you aggressive right away with your, with your approach? Do you kind of wait for the exact right time or, you know, do 10 out of 10 of the things, you know, the wind, the stars, the moon, the everything, <laughs> does everything have to be in line for you to hunt a stand? Um, you know, I think I used to be a lot more cautious about that than I am now. Um, I would say that, you know, as a rule, I'm relatively timid. Um, you know, I'd rather kind of creep in on them, start out on the fringes and then get more aggressive. One of the, one of my favorite bucks that I killed in Minnesota was a, is a five-year-old and I shot him, uh, the first week of season. And that deer miraculously did basically the same thing five days in a row. Okay. And uh, the farmer, uh, they, there was an early corn harvest that year, um, and they were, actually I think the farmer was taking out some high moisture corn. And when he was doing that, he he called me and he's like, "I saw a really nice buck, you know, tonight." And, oh, you know where? And just I I knew he wouldn't pinpoint exactly for me, <laughs> so I just give me a basic area, and he told me. And so I set up an observation stand that was designed, the only thing I thought I was going to do that night was just try to see the deer, um, which I did. Uh, he came out exactly where the farmer said he would, and he was with a smaller, it was a hundred, his buddy was 130 inches, and he made him look tiny, you know, just because okay. he was heavy and old. Um, but it, So anyway, I watched where they came out, watched where they fed, wait till they got out of my life, and then I scurried on out of there, and I'm like, okay, I got a plan for the next night. And I actually couldn't hunt that night, and so I called my buddy, and I'm like, I think I know where this deer is coming out. Go in there and you know get him killed. So he did, and the deer um, made a goofy loop, and you know didn't do exactly what he, he was in that area, but he just you know didn't didn't do what we needed him to do. But he didn't know my buddy was there, and again I couldn't hunt the third night, and so I sent him in there again. And that night he had the buck at 25 yards, and he's about ready to shoot, and a forkhorn behind him caught him and blew and. The big buck didn't know what was going on. He's just like, oh, I, I don't like this. So he left. And then uh, anyway, the, so the, the fourth sit then, I went back in there and I shot the deer that night doing exactly the same thing. So that was a question of kind of creeping in on him, you know, okay, mm-hmm. see him from a distance and then just playing the wind. Um, and then, you know, having a stand where you know you're not going to get busted. And then the other thing too is a lot of times with these summertime deer, and this is the same thing that happens late season is, you know, they feed out, you're sitting on a food source, they, you know, they feed out to the food source and then sunset comes and there's all the deer out there and you're stuck in your stands. So you got to figure out a way to get out of there. So I'm really fortunate in that my neighbors and I, we just, you know, we have a standing deal that, you know, if you're in this tree stand and it's dusk and you got deer in front of you, we can text each other and say, hey, come get me. Mm-hmm. And they'll just drive in there with an ATV or a truck and bump the deer off and you're good to go. Because those deer, I mean, they see trucks around here all the time. They don't get, there's no long-term spookage there. Right. So you can go back to that same stand the next night and you're golden, you yeah. know. So anyway, yeah, having that exit strategy is is important. And now you're going to ask me, what if you don't have a buddy? <laughs> 
sure. What if you don't have a buddy? <laughs> well, I've done some crazy things. Um, I've thrown rattling antlers out of the tree. I've uh, thrown tr- bags of tree steps out. Sometimes that works. Sometimes it just makes them curious. Um, but I also have a coyote howler that I keep in my pack. Okay. And if, if worse comes to worse, I whip out the coyote howler, and that'll usually clear the field in a hurry. Yep. And as soon as they go, then I just scramble out of there. I've done that, too. Coyote howl myself, just uh-huh. with my natural voice, and yeah. it must not. I don't feel like it works too well. I They're must not, not impressed. Have a, yeah, not impressed. Yeah, <laughs> you don't sound predatory Boy, that guy. enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's a wimpy coyote yeah, over there. We're guy not afraid of like him. <laughs> dying jackrabbit. <laughs> uh, I, I guess I got to get a coyote howler. Howler. Right. So <laughs> you do. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, a question that I, you know, I, I asked you last time about um, season season structure last year around the uh, shotgun season. Mm. But I want to ask you a, a season structure question around the archery season. Mm. You know, we're both archery hunters. We love chasing whitetails. How cool would it be to shoot one with its velvet on is kind of what I'm thinking. If you, uh, you know, you've got a magic, you've got the trident right now. You're king of, you're king <laughs> of season structure. If you could restructure the seasons and put a different date on archery season, when would when would you do it? Um, well, I'm I'm largely satisfied with the way things are, just because it's tradition, and you know, hunters are traditionalists. But yeah, I I think it would be totally cool to have an early velvet season. You know, North Dakota has one, and Kentucky, and I mean, a lot of the western states open September first. So yep. yeah, there's um, yeah that that would definitely be fun. Yeah. Especially if we could, if we could have it. So if we're living in a dream world, yeah, we might as well give two weeks of nothing but bow hunting deer and delay the small game opener. Leave the small game opener where it is, so that we don't have to contend with that because it is a factor. I mean, in some places it's zero factor, but I have state land all around right. me, and land. squirrel season is a big deal. I mean, they're, the twenty twos. I guarantee you. The twenty twos will be going off tomorrow morning. Yeah, um, and more power to them. That's great. Whatever, but it does it does have an effect. Uh, and so, yeah, I, yeah. If I'm living in a perfect world, I'd have two weeks of bow hunting only starting September first. Yep, I agree with you. And you know, we do have the, the DNR has extended seasons even into January. You know, just to try to get numbers down, especially right. concerning the CWD. But. I agree with you. I'd love to shoot a velvet deer, you know, especially in my home state. You yeah, know, I yeah. think it'd be cooler than hell. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by this time, like we were just talking about, most of the deer have shed their velvet right now. And there's a few here or there. So some somebody might get lucky tomorrow and shoot one with some velvet still. But yeah. um, I feel like most of the big ones that we want to, you want to shoot now or I'll shed it. So yeah. a couple weeks earlier would be sweet. That you would know? be fun. Especially if you want to shoot deer. I mean, why not open it up? you know, two weeks earlier and close it two weeks later. I mean, I, I don't, I, my hands get so cold so easily. I mean, there's not, I, I'll be sitting in a box blind, you know, yeah, an elevated box blind with hand warmers just because my hands get so cold. Yeah. But I, it's fun. You can see a lot of deer late like that. And I think maybe that's why they do it. You know, if you're sitting on a good food source, but I don't know. I think it'd be sweet to shoot one in early, early Absolutely. September. Yeah, yeah, I don't, and there's no, yeah, obviously no biological reason not to do it. And, right. uh, and yeah, if you want to, and if, and if you're concerned about antlerless harvest, um, you know, you're probably better off shooting them early than you are late. I mean, by the, 
you've hunted late season. I mean, you take a mature doe, I put her her hunter IQ above any buck out there. Absolutely. I've had those old nannies walk out on a food plot or field and just sit there and look at trees. I mean, and, and I'm not I'm not making that up. I yep. mean, they are just on pins and needles. I've seen them stop, you know, a hundred yards before the food, the you know, the edge of the field. Yeah. And just kind of look around. Yeah. You know, take take five steps. Keep looking. Yeah. Meanwhile, all you know, their fawns are sitting behind them. Like, let's go. What's the holdup? I'm starving. You know. I've seen the fawns bomb past mom and go into the food, and they're like, I don't care what you do. I'm hungry. You know. Yeah. So we um, we talked a little bit about scrapes and how exciting it is, you know, to see get pictures, but also there's this thing uh, and i've heard you talk about this and 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 read articles that you've read about this called scrape week Mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that yeah actually um tom indrabo who guides over in buffalo county who's you know just an encyclopedia of of deer uh he's the one that first talked to me about that term and it's really it really is accurate i mean uh, you know you you can't sugarcoat it i mean most of the visits to, to scrapes i mean most of Whitetails are, you know, they like the dark, and a lot of visits to scrapes are uh, at, you know, at night. Um, but boy, that little that there's a week there, week to ten days before that first doe pops, and they are so bucks are so amped up for that first encounter that they're just, I mean, it's almost like they can't contain themselves. They just got to get up and walk, you know. Um, I mean, you picture a teenage boy, you know, who's just seen a gorgeous cheerleader walk by. I mean, he's just got to, you know, got to go pump iron or something, you know. <laughs> yeah. So they, yeah, they start checking those scrapes, you know. It couldn't be middle of the day. It's crazy. And uh, you learn a ton um, by keeping your cameras on scrapes, you know, uh, throughout the whole fall. I mean, you really learned a lot. Uh, I've... Yeah, tra- that's when one thing the trail cams have really, you know, they. I, I don't. It's funny. I've ha- I have an editor in New York that you know it doesn't deer hunt deer hunt much ironically, and you know he his he's always contended with me that trail cameras are like cheating. You know they give you this unfair advantage, and I just shake my head and I say, trail cameras have shown me how little I know about deer. You know, I mean, they've taught me a lot, but it's always like, man, you've got all this information, you know, all these different bucks, you know, why can't you get one killed? (laughs) (laughs) It's just increased my respect for them so much. But yeah, you you can learn a lot. Like I've, I've learned that that scrape week is really huge. And then there's another period right in the middle of the rut. And in Minnesota, it's actually between our gun seasons Mm. um, around the 15th of of November. It must be at or near our breeding peak or, you know, on either side of it. And I tell you what, if the weather is cool then, which it typically is, um, I mean, it's some unbelievable scrape visits during that time period. But but scrape week is, yeah, it's excellent. And I'm typically putting it... Oh, 24th of October till, you know, first couple days of November. Yep, yep. yep. It is a fun time of the year to hunt. I, I shot a dandy buck nine-pointer uh, a couple of years ago with my bow, and it was October 23rd. Mm-hmm. And he was, I didn't shoot him over a, straight, a scrape. I shot him coming to some food, but um, just kind of meandering, taking his time through the woods and had no idea it was there. It was actually the first sit of of the year, uh, first sit of my, of my year. Wow. Nice. Um, yeah, it was it was great. It just all goes back to talking about, you know, minimal pressure. Yep. That farm hadn't been hunted, you know, and finally that, I sat in a tree and that there he was. But um It's awesome. How do you how do you hunt scrape week? Um are you sitting over scrapes? Are you sitting over areas 
on field edges again or kind of depends where the scrapes are um i i really like um i kind of like staging areas you know um like if you got an old logging road that comes off a ridge towards a, a field and it's all scraped up which they typically are bucks you know, anytime you can find a you know a logging road or a, a trail is typically you know in that's in the timber um those are excellent places to you know to either get scrapes going or find them if you haven't got them going already um but yeah those are that's a great spot but yeah f you know field edge scrapes it's funny you know buxel during that time period they're so i don't know if regret aggressive you know when i picture aggressive i picture like bucks running after does and getting ready to fight and all that which there's some of that going on but to me it's more of just like you know meandering and burning off energy and checking scrapes and just seeing you know seeing what's going on but yeah you know if you've got a good food source like the edge of a bean field or alfalfa field a food plot and you've got scrapes on the edge you know i mean just a can be a killer spot then because mm -hmm. they just seem like the as i said before you know i don't know what they're saying to each other at those things but they're really important it's kind of like i think it's like going to the neighborhood coffee shop and just yeah. to see what's going on the hot gossip absolutely yeah. and they you know who's been here and and you know one of my favorite things to do um during scrape week any time of year but especially during scrape week is if i if i find a regular a scrape made by a buck then i immediately put down one or two of my own right right next to it especially if I got, you know, obviously I have the overhanging branches there. And then um, I'll hang a camera on the scrapes that I made, and it's amazing how often the bucks will be like, they'll ignore their scrape, and they're like, who's who's this guy? Oh, hell no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, what are you doing? You're throwing down on me and yeah. my turf, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I've, I heard an interesting strategy about uh, about making mock scrapes. And it was, you know, was, this guy was talking about a field edge. And, you know, field edges, there's trees overhanging, you know, pretty much across the whole field mm -hmm. edge and this guy he didn't really have too many trees too many high quality stand trees to hang from so he hung a stand in the one you know one of several quality trees you know mm -hmm. that's big around and straight and he went he took his chainsaw and his you know extended pole chainsaw and cut off every other scrape tree you know overhanging tree that the deer could reach yeah except for the ones or one or two three right below that tree yeah and i was like geez now that's a brilliant idea smart it is really smart yeah i mean like you said it's almost like they can't help themselves they got to go over to that overhanging branch and see what the hot gossip is yeah and he put him right in his lap yeah it was a, i mean that's a brilliant brilliant technique it is it's mm -hmm. like you know yeah those those licking branches are gone you can't go there anymore right <laughs> yep um the other thing that works really good is some you know sometimes you'll get a food plot or a field that you know has no there might not there might not be a good licking branch on it or like you said the the stand tree that's advantageous for you doesn't have something within shooting range and so um we've actually we did this as an experiment um my dad had some junky cedar trees behind his house and we just chainsawed a cedar tree down dug a took a post hole digger and just went in front of one of our stands and dug a hole in the field plopped this plopped that cedar right in there and then made a scrape under there and it's crazy that very night hmm. bucks were walking up to that thing and like hey and you know i mean to, to our brains we're like it's there wasn't a tree there yesterday <laughs> and deers they just don't think that way there's like oh my gosh there's a scrape tree you know right yeah <laughs> i don't care that i've walked through this field a hundred times i've never seen that thing before <laughs> yeah well, or, or it's curiosity they got to go see what it's a tree i know it's a tree but what's it doing there and how to right. get there yeah that you know people people 
a lot of times overlook the curiosity of deer. They're highly curious. And I think, um, and I've found that especially, you know, I, I mentioned that a lot of times I'm not, you know, I'm not scent free when I'm working on mock scrapes and I'm, you know, putting scent on them. And, you know, I think a lot of time, you know, 90% of the time they're just up there sniffing like, what's, what's this, mm-hmm. you know? Um, as a matter of fact, um, Carl Miller, who's one of the, one of the most longstanding deer researchers at the University of Georgia said they did a study on scrapes one time trying to figure out what smells were most attractive to deer and they're using like you know buck urine doe urine doe and heat da, 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 da. And then they just started to get crazy and they said you know which smell got more scrape visits than any other they took a bottle of new car scent and they sprayed it on the overhanging branch and he no said kidding. we had more hits to that than anything huh <laughs> So yeah. there you go. Yeah, <laughs> something I guess they never smell, or right. something. That, yeah, hmm. interesting. Well, cool. So um, I I have a few um, few scenario based questions. Usually at this point of the podcast, I'll ask about my time standing still question, but you've been on the podcast before, so we we know we know your answer to that. And if you haven't listened to Scott's prior episode, go back and take a listen. It's a great episode, as as informative probably as this one is. But anyway, I've got a few scenario-based questions that will we'll fill up that, that time. So what do you do if you're walking out to your stand? And, and I've had this happen to me, and I've always wondered what I should do. Um, a lot of times you don't have a plan B. Sometimes you do. But you're walking out to your stand, and all of a sudden you see, see a buck get up. You reach for your binocs, and you're, you're kind of looking through the woods, but you can't really see exactly what buck it is. You don't know if it's your target buck, you know, a dandy eight-pointer or whatever. Um, you know, it's a buck though, cause you saw his antlers. What do you do in that scenario? Are you asking me, do I go ahead and hunt that spot? Yeah, or do you do go, go ahead and hunt it? Do you, you know, back out, go to your plan B? Do you go there, you know, next week and hang a st- hanging, hanging bang kind of stand there. And you know, that's where he was bedded. So maybe I can get him coming back to bedding. What do you do in that scenario? Um, I think in terms of, you know, what do I do? immediately after he goes i think a lot of it for me would depend on how big a ruckus he makes when he leaves you know some deer just kind of slip out of there and um you know and i you know if i feel like i've got the wind and i chose to stand for a reason i'll i'll probably go sit it you mm-hmm. know just see what happens um and in terms of long term i don't know um a lot of it depends on you know if we talked earlier about spring scouting. I've hung some of my best stands as a result of spring scouting, and they're almost all due. To, the reason they're good is because they take into consideration the landscape, the terrain, the funnels, da da da. It's like if I know that thing is in the good spot, I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of let it ride. Mm-hmm. But if it's one of those things where I'm doing a hang and hunt, and I've you know, and I'm seeing some observed deer behavior, like oh that deer did something I didn't didn't expect deer to do. I might walk over there and go, you know, maybe I need to move that stand or hang a new stand over here. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't get super bummed when I bump a buck around here just because, I mean, this is farm country and I mean, I've, I say it a hundred times, but I got state land all around me. These deer are bumping into people all the time. Mm-hmm. So if they went catatonic and freaked out and completely changed their lives every time somebody bumped them, they, I mean, they'd be living in an Iowa. You know, they'd just be a continual. <laughs> so I just, uh, you know, I I feel like I just got to keep working my game plan, I okay. think, is, is kind of my, my basic feeling on that. Gotcha. Yeah. 
talking about this just reminded me of a story. One of the one of the bigger deer that I can remember hunting. I, I walked out to my stand, and it was on a field edge, and he, like you said, he he was probably bedded seventy five yards from mm-hmm. where he was eating. Mm-hmm. Climbed up into my stand, got all settled, hung my bow up in the the hanger, and you know just kind of settled in. And started to kind of, you know, listen for the first thing. And all of a sudden I look, you know, I, I heard something behind me and I look, look back and there's that buck and he got up out of his bed and went the other way. He didn't mm. blow or he didn't do anything, mm. but it was like, I know damn well that he watched me walk <laughs> out to my stand, climb up the tree, do all my, you know, mm-hmm. do all my arranging and get mm-hmm. organized and everything. And then once I sat down, he's like, Huh? I've seen what I need to see and I'm out of here. It was the craziest thing. And I watched him walk out of my life and, you know, haven't had never, never seen him since, but it was crazy. I mean, just, and you know, that's a great, that's a great story. And I think in that situation, yeah, you need to go to plan B because I yeah. mean that deer, I mean, you've basically given him the roadmap to how you're trying to kill him. And he's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and I think, you know, that being said too, there's a, there's a little bit to be said about your approach to your tree. Sure. You know, yep. if, and it's tough. All, not all properties will give you that that luxury to mm-hmm. approach a tree or approach your blind or wherever you're hunting mm-hmm. that same way. But um, you know, mix it up, throw something different at them. I agree. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. So I want to talk to you about your early season, your most killingest early season stand, and what's so special about it. Um, trying to think because I've killed. Killed my three biggest bucks early. And, well, I think the first one... So, you know, most of my early season setups are kind of kind of hanging hunts. Okay. Like, you know, it's, it's observed behavior or it's trail cam data, uh, you know, pictures, or, you know, and then it's like, okay, this is a tree I need to be in. Um, and, you know, that, that can be highly specific. I mean, you know, like let's say they're coming to an apple tree. They're not just coming to any apple tree. They're coming to this apple tree. If I don't have a stand there, i got to figure it out. Same with, with, with oaks. You know, they can be really selective about the oaks that they go to. Um, but the one that wasn't, um, was a, that was a total terrain read that I did the spring before. And I was actually in there turkey hunting. It was a long, uh, just a beautiful farm, like a 100-acre ridge top. Um, you know, no access except where I could come in. Uh, there was a bean field on top and then little finger ridges that went off this, uh, off that bean field. And I was in there turkey hunting that spring and I was like, I found a uh, oak in there off the corner of that bean field. And I'm like, man, two little finger ridges feet. It was like a little turkey foot. I'm like, this is, this is it. This is the spot, you know, um, any deer coming into that field or coming off of that field or even swinging that point is going to come right by that tree. And so I went in there and I, I hung a set in, in April and brushed it, just brushed it like crazy because, of course, you don't know what's going to happen during the summer. And, uh, yeah, and I, I went in there. Um, and it's, so it's funny. The farmer had told me I'm seeing a giant buck in that bean. So then fast forward to the summer. The farmer told me, he's like, there's a giant buck in that bean field. He's there every night. And of course, I would go there in the evening to glass for him, and he wouldn't show. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'm like, he's coming. According to the info I've got, he's coming off that corner where that turkey foot is. And so the first night the wind was right, I just like I'm swinging for the bleachers. I'm going in there. It was maybe 75 yards off the corner of the field. I snuck in there super early, and yeah. Long story short, 
He walked in there and I killed him at 20 yards. Awesome. You know, so that, and that was just a structure terrain read. But most of the other ones have been, you know, the deer's feeding here uh, and I got to, I got to get a stand in there. Um, so yeah, I try to stay mobile, you know, have my lone wolf or other portables and sticks and, you know, uh, sticks or steps and just get where I need to be. Yep. Yep. Cool. So we haven't really talked too much about the rut and I think I've, I've kind of wanted to do that on purpose just because, you know, it's it's early and I'm excited about the early season right now. Yeah. But just one rut question. Last year, if you can rewind to last year, how did you hunt? Uh, if I remember, it was super, super hot. Mm-hmm. It was like in the 70s, you know, and, and during the day. And, it, I mean, that's that's hot for, you know, middle mm-hmm. of, early to middle of November. Mm-hmm. How did you hunt last year? What was your What was your, your go-to? Well, you know, when it's warm, I focus heavily on mornings, you know. Um, I mean, I don't know. I just, I like morning hunting in the rut no matter what. But, you know, when it's warm, I think it's it's really important because you're going to, you're either going to, you know, any of the daytime activity is probably going to be, you know, that first couple hours or, you know, if there's nighttime activity that's happening, which is usually what's happening when it's, you know, people always say the rut, you know, the rut didn't happen this year. Well, it, it happened. It has to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Look, you've, you've had a picture of a fawn, haven't you? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the, the fawns are born. Trust me, the rut <laughs> happened. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, you know, I, I like to say there's there's the rut that happens, then there's the rut that we see, you know, and the rut that happens occurs no matter what, as we said, it's just it's nature, it's got it's got to got to happen. But if it's cold, you know, we see more of it. Um, but anyway, when it's warm, yeah, then it's then it's mornings, uh, it's water, you know. What uh, people people just you know they always think oh ponds are a you know ponds or cricks are a, you know, that's a good early season thing. Man, I tell you what, you want to see a thirsty deer, you you see a buck that's been running does all night long. Mm-hmm. You know, his tongue is hanging out. We've seen them, you know, they walk through the woods, <laughs> you know. Yep, yep, <laughs> their mouth, mouth wide open. Mouth hanging open. Um, I had a picture of a, I've got a pond back here. I had a picture of a buck last fall. It was 78 degrees, and it was 1030 in the morning, and he was walking into that pond. Wow. Yep. Wow. It, like you said, his tongue. That's hot. Yeah, yeah. It, it was hot. But I mean, who knows? So who knows where he had been, you know? But he he knew where that water was. Mm-hmm. He knew where to find relief, you know. So water's good. North facing slopes because they're a little more shaded. Um, uh, valley bottoms cooler, you know. A uh, lot of trout streams or you know valley bottom trout streams around here. You know, the only thing, the only challenge you got there is tricky winds. Sure. So you know, the tighter the tighter the valley bottom you got, the harder your winds are going to be. So if you can get a broader uh, a broader valley bottom where you get little truer winds. I mean, man, I'd, I'd hunker in there and sit all day if I could. Good deal. Well, um, I, I know I put you through the this or that gauntlet that last time. So I went a little easier on this time. <laughs> I didn't ask, I didn't, I don't, I'm not going to have you answer all 10, Okay. but I do just have a handful of a handful okay. for you here. Let's so run the gauntlet. We'll run the gauntlet and then we'll wind it up. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Question one, turnips or brassicas? Oh, boy. what's the difference? <laughs> They're kind of uh, turnips are more of a root vegetable, and, yes. v- and brassicas are just the green leafy stuff. Exactly. Yep. Well, are we talking early season? Early season. Yep. Yeah, brassicas. Okay. Yep. Now, ground blind or hang on stand? Hang on stand. All right. Early season again. Apples or acorns? Ooh. Uh. I just, I love acorns. All right. Yep. 
now September, you're hunting September, let's say tomorrow or this weekend or this next week, mornings or evenings? Evenings. Okay. Block or 3D target? <laughs> oh, 3D. Okay. Yep. Waterhole or mock scrape? Early. All right. Waterhole. All right. Yep. And do you usually shoot a wrist strap or a handheld release? Wrist strap. All right. Well, Scott, thanks again. This has been very informative. I've learned tons. I'm sure our listeners have too. Um, like I mentioned, if you haven't listened to Scott's earlier episode, go back and listen to it. Um, I think between that one and this one, there's a dead buck in your truck by the end of the year. Let's hope so. Let's hear about it too. <laughs> All right. Send pictures. <laughs> yeah, send some pictures. Good luck to everybody out there. Take it easy.